Hi, and welcome to Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. I'm Jeremy Wartzman, and I'm here with my co-host, Rachel Kendrick. Hey, guys. I say like a vlogger. Hello. Nobody can see us. Happy beginning of season nine. We made it through the holidays. And for anyone who's listened to the show from the early days, you'll know that the format often changes from season to season as we tackle new topics and get excited about new things. A few months ago, Laura and I concocted some pretty ambitious plans for a new piece of writing and reporting we're doing for the illustration industry as a whole. Similar to our Use It or Lose It project, this is going to take a bit of a deep dive of interviews, research, and writing, which will inform this new standalone project as well as a new season of the podcast. It's going to take some time to do properly, though, so we're anticipating the launch of this new season and the associated microsite sometime in April. But we couldn't kick the podcast bug for that long, and we didn't want to leave our loyal fans in the lurch. So. While this new project will move things much closer to the business roots of the podcast and this project in general, we're also finding that we're smack bang in the middle of some pretty rough times, especially here in Australia in the middle of the ongoing bushfire crisis that continues to unfold every day and probably will do so for the foreseeable weeks and months into the summer. For those of us in the advertising and design industries, I know that many of us have found it hard to come back to the new year with the renewed energy and enthusiasm for our work, myself especially. So the idea of delving back into creative project management and production didn't really feel that important or pressing during these times. What did and what does feel right, for me at least, is talking a whole lot of bullshit. And while we are back in business and at the same time doing what we can do to take direct action, both in terms of supporting fundraising efforts, doing our own fundraising, and in terms of updating our own business practices, some of the best things that really, I guess, great art and culture can do in times like this is just give us some sort of temporary diversion from reality. And I can't think of a better example of that than the Internet. Therefore, we're taking a bit of a lighter approach to this season and going back to our open tabs format and kind of doing it in a different, more kind of extended way. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with open tabs as kind of a thing, it's based in a series that we've now run across two different countries now, and it's effectively a private event. We take it to our ad agency clients and we run it in-house kind of in their offices. We get four amazing speakers. They plug in their laptops and literally go through their open browser tabs. Each speaker gets one minute per tab, a maximum of 10 tabs, and it's like a bit of a mashup between Pachakacha and Creative Mornings. It's a whole lot of fun, and I love it. This season, however, with Laura doing this deep dive for our next season, I'm super excited to announce my new co-host for the season, Rachel Kendrick. Rachel is a London-based creative copywriter who's worked all over the place, including Whedon and Kennedy, AKQA, Huge, Ogilvy, Google, etc. In her previous life, she's finished a PhD before washing out of academia when she realized that she'd much rather make deeply stupid adverts than peer-reviewed articles that nobody reads. Rachel also has a very kind of deep connection to Jackie Winter, and I think if anyone here you know, has read any of kind of our early field guides, um, you've probably experienced Rachel's amazing work. You know, She really kind of developed the tone and the voice and aesthetic along with me in the very early days of Jackie Winter around 2007, 2008, and it's been great to follow her journey in advertising throughout the last 12 years alongside Jackie Winter on different continents. So for the next three months, Rachel and myself will be coming together each week. We're going to be going through our own open tabs. This podcast is an opportunity for two people from two different hemispheres to come together each week and provide insight into the creative industry from our unique point of view on being opposite sides of the advertising fence with Rachel, I guess, representing the client side and us as the creatives. Using the internet as our lens, we hope to explore a variety of current events, opinions, and tools to provide thought-provoking conversation to anyone whose job it is to bring creative things to life. But mostly, it's a chance for us to talk about video games and Heelys, as we will get to in due time. 
if that's not your thing, of course, or if you just miss Lara's amazing radio voice, that's cool. We get it. Just be sure to be joining us back in April for season 10. In the meantime, Rachel, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm really good. It's always really jarring when you hear yourself described as a client. I'm like, I'm kind of really deep in a, a production process right now. And there's always a moment where I'm like, dealing with whether it's photographers or directors where I'm like oh my god they're so nice to me we're like best friends right now we're all just gonna be hanging out and then I just remember oh yeah I'm the client now it's like my turn to like have someone be on their best behavior around me so how does it yeah, feel it feels strange I'm not used to it normally I'm, I'm someone's whipping boy so I really like it it's giving me this rush of power and where are you working at the moment? So I'm working at a small London agency called Brave, which are actually owned by a really large French sports marketing company. But it's it's a really lovely place. They make a lot of really good, strong stuff. They make a lot of stuff, which is really enjoyable for me. So yeah, and that's like coming off the back of like two pretty full-on years of freelancing all around London. Fantastic. Well, yeah, in like the previous 90 or so episodes, you know, we've have kind of branched out to other countries with obviously our US office. We've had a lot of US guests happening over there. And so we've had a lot of kind of American perspective on the industry. And so I'm really excited to be kind of working on this with you for the next three months as we kind of talk together, maybe to get a bit more perspective of what things are like in, I guess, the UK and kind of the European market in general. Obviously, people will hear your Australian accent. You're obviously from Australia. And yeah, as I mentioned, had a lot of connection to Jackie Winter in the early days, especially one of the actual inspirations for Open Tabs, which was YouTube Tuesdays, the event that we did fundraising for Is Not Magazine, where we basically used this kind of bar in the city and we just kind of showed YouTube clips every week. This was before, I don't know, it was early. That was, it was the very early, early internet. Early. It was like, that was like when you would still find weird shit on YouTube. I feel like weird video doesn't live on YouTube anymore. I feel like our lives are just weird videos. But yeah, this is kind of back in the day of like, you know, yeah, the newscaster stomping on the grapes and kind of things like that. I don't think I've ever laughed as hard as I did when that stuff first came out. But yeah, the internet is a horrible, weird place right now, but it's still kind of fun to explore. So yeah, I mean, I know from my holidays, my browsers are kind of packed with tabs. So yeah, we're going to be doing a bit of a rapid fire back and forth through what's been going on. We'll touch on some industry stuff, some non-industry stuff and yeah we'll take it from there for the next three months so rachel thanks so much for joining us and thank you so much for having me Okay, I will get things started for the first link of the week. And Lara has always kind of chided me for not being able to just pick one link. So my first link is a bit of a mega link package, all relating to my newfound identity as an adult who owns Healy's. And as you know, in the last episode of the previous season, I did talk about the reviews that I found. You know, I was going over this on the Amazon site. The reviews were some of the most amazing literary things I'd ever had the pleasure to read. It's fantastic. I'm going to post that link in the show notes as well, so you can kind of get a hold of that. And Anyway, I ordered a pair, they arrived, and I kind of had then been taking a deep dive into this. And I realized that I'm not the only one. So there's a few other links that I'm putting up here. The first is kind of from Slate. They did field testing of Heelys, the sneakers with wheels, in 2007, where they had adults also buy these Heelys, kind of put them on and report back. And then there's a whole BuzzFeed piece actually done in 2017 called Adults Wear Heelys for a Day, which is also fantastic. Can't recommend it enough. And also recently, up until last week, there's a piece on Lad Bible titled Healy's Tricks Guy is the Hero We All Need. And so I'm going to be putting all these together to give a bit of a summary of my recent experience with Healy's because it has been very, very strange. I mean, I have only put them on once. 
I found them very disturbing. <laughs> to you wear. Know probably what kind of colorway you got in this? This is like the, well, the I just, way I just, things look is blowing my mind. They're kind of like off brand like sad aliexpress chucks well i tried to find the least offensive pair which is because they almost look like vans but you know they have to keep a big wheel in it so the heels are kind of like a bit high but the thing that's so weird about it as well is that the wheel is always kind of sticking out so it's kind of like whenever i saw kids really doing this stuff in the mall i thought there was like a wheel like you might shake your foot and the wheel would kind of pop out and then be able to do it but the wheel is always out. So you're never kind of flat on your feet. You're always a bit elevated. And there's also this wheel that's there, which is like could murder you at any point if you kind of take the wrong step. But I don't care. There is like a little corridor that goes from my desk to the kitchen. And the whole reason that I got these was basically so I could, I guess, just heel through the office and almost kind of glide a bit. There's a technique that they have on all their tutorials, which is step, plant and kick. It's a three step process. I don't really have a good idea about how to make it all happen. All I can tell you is that I do own them. They are part I, of my identity why now. Why does this like, feel like, this is giving me like, the same energy as like vape tricks. Like I kind of feel like the Venn diagram of the Healy community and the vape community is like a, just a complete circle. There's definitely going to be an overlap here. And look, and I will say I was a vaping early adopter, like before it really became, as we now know, it is the fedora of the mouth. And so these could be said to be the fedoras for the feet. But like, I don't know, like I really pride myself on being a good kind of early adopter, spotting these things a bit ahead of time. I do think that there is going to be a bit of a Healy's renaissance. You know, we're talking about this whole last mile of transportation here in terms of, yeah, how we're getting from the station to our homes and all these things. I think Healy's was a bit ahead of the time, maybe in kind of some regards, but I think I'm onto something. I'm going to leave it here. I'm going to keep reporting back on my Healy's journey across the whole the life of this podcast. But in the meantime, check out some of these links if you want to get a bit more insight into this. There is some kind of very serious investigation going on here. So yeah, that's my kind of first one for the week. Rachel, what are you going to kick us off with? I'm kicking off with an app that it's a web app that has changed my life, like captured my soul, unfortunately changed the lives of a number of my friends and colleagues. It's called Hang the DJ. In full disclosure, it is actually made by a very dear friend of mine and I named it, but please don't. I hope that this is this is not self-promo. I just desperately need more people to use this. So Hang the DJ is basically a kind of collaborative, like it's designed for studios where people share speakers. And I'm sure that we've all kind of used Sonos in the past. Like I'm not a big fan of the Sonos software. I find it really difficult to use. Really? In a shared situation too? In in a shared situation. I mean, like admittedly since Hang the DJ came into my life, yeah, I've just, I've personally had an awkward time with it, but the killer feature of Hang the DJ is if we listen with the group of people is firstly, you have to sign in with your social credentials. So your name is attached to whatever you put on there. So it has like the social proof. And secondly, it has upvote and downvote features. So if you like a song, you upvote it. If you don't like it, you downvote it. If a song gets more than three downvotes, it gets hung. And let me tell you, I'm very proud to have introduced this to the studio at Brave, and it is causing shambles. It is. What was the first song to go? I think for me, that's a really good question. I think for me, I'm a very heavily downvoted person. I've got some controversial taste. I'm unashamed of that because it also includes a weekly stats feature, which shows you who is the most upvoted, who is the most downvoted, who is the most prolific DJ. So it just adds this whole other dimension to a workplace. You really get to know your colleagues when you kind of find out who is the person who will put on Ed Sheeran or who is the person who will put on South African house music. 
that gets downvoted for some absolutely baffling reason. I love it. Again, all the links that we are going to be talking about are going to be in the show notes and it will be in our enhanced version of the podcast as well if you want to go directly to those things. Next up for me, I know that there is a lot of shopping that's being done over the holiday period and I have many different links of things that I, you know, just would like to buy one day. And I kind of alluded this into our newsletter one week, but sometimes this is also just my kind of general thing with buying or consuming anything at the moment. I have a kind of a new policy where I have to hear about it from three different people before I seriously investigate it. So whether it's kind of like a TV show, movie, anything else, three people. And I don't know, Rach, if this has happened to you, but are you seeing bidets everywhere in pop culture at the moment? I feel like there's a lot more bidet chat. I've heard on multiple podcasts that like I have only used a bidet once and that was at Singapore airport. And I was like, I noticed they had one. I'm like, oh yeah, everyone's talking about this. I didn't realize it was just a hose spraying directly at Uranus. And I yeah. like <laughs> shot off that seat so hard and it sprayed down me and my clothing and like splattered the floor. So I just left a damp bidet attacked mess. So wow. I'm I'm personally quite confused by the current bidet moment. I f- maybe it was just this particular bidet was very aggressive. But yeah, I got bidet curious and uh, it got the bidet better of me. That's, you know, these are the puns that I think people really come to this podcast for. Yeah, I don't know if it's kind of what's going on, if this is kind of some multi-level marketing thing or just some weird thing. But yeah, I'm hearing about bidets everywhere. I've heard about it on a few different podcasts. And then there was a post on Cable Sasser, a guy who founded kind of Panic on his Twitter as well, kind of showing his newly installed bidet. The Wirecutter recently updated their best bidet toilet seat or washlet article. It's been in my open tabs. I'm reading through all of the amazing features of the Toto washlet C200, which is is for some reason not available in Australia, but I'm kind of working on this at the moment. I don't know, like I'm looking at the animated GIFs, like showing the little hose that comes out. There's a lot of Cronenbergian body horror aspect to the bidet in kind of general, which I do find mildly terrifying, but also very curious. I don't know, these people, like there seems to be this kind of life-changing fact about it. I think I could get behind it. I don't know if there's, that's a really a kind of pun as well. Article, like midway down underneath the header, budget pick Brondell Swatch 300, of the world's most luxurious toilet. And as much as I do personally find the idea of having a jet of water shoot me right in the perineum, like pretty unappetizing, I do really identify with the subculture of people who will deeply invest in their toilet experience. And you do have to deeply invest. Like You need to actually put a plug an electrical plug. It requires an electrician coming out. They are going to be doing work. They are going to be putting a PowerPoint next to your toilet. I mean, once you do that, you are in pretty deep and yet yeah, you can't go back. So I'm kind of just weighing up the pros and cons of this right now. It's kind of floating in, in my open tabs. I've, I've had a lot of great unintentional toilet references here anyway, but I will buy anything that the wire cutter tells me to buy. So yeah, that is just kind of one of the wire cutter links open for me this week. Rachel, back to you. What do you got? So I'm always here for ambient music YouTube. It's like my favorite, favorite, favorite corner of YouTube. It's my favorite place to get automated recommendations. It's also my favorite place to read comments. So if I'm ever feeling sad, I'll just open up the song Watering a Flower by Harumi Hosono from the 1984 Muji tapes. So I'm not sure if you're aware, if you're a real ambient music head, in 1984, Muji commissioned a series of like some soundtracks from sort of notable Japanese Wait, Muji artists. the shop? Yeah. So in the 80s, Muji commissioned soundtracks for their stores for a range of like really amazing artists. And one of those was 
Harim Hosono, who I think is from the Yellow Magic Orchestra. My husband could tell me and then some exactly where he's from, but I'm I'm not so sure. But anyway, excellent working music, very, very bleepy bloopy, but like I will I will read some of my uh favorite comments here. So some of the comments include this is the music that plays when you get to the end of YouTube. This song is like a child's drawing of an airplane hanging in an empty house. My favorite is this is the song you play at a vacuum cleaner's funeral. This is the music that plays when a chair realizes that he is a chair. And I'm only scratching the surface of just like truly kind of chef's kiss, just comments on YouTube. And also it's just such an excellent starting off point to ambient music YouTube. I strongly recommend just letting the algorithmic suggestions just autoplay on that one and just letting it wash on over you. I got to say, comments sections are just like the newest, best source of comedy for me at the moment. Like it definitely has less. I mean, there is toxicity, not as much toxicity as Twitter, though. But yeah, like I think it's very gentle. I love Matthew Livick, who says, I came here for a humidifier, but now I'm crying in a store. And yes, also, you know, very apt. Thanks, Rach. Yeah, I had to listen to that before. It sounds awesome. Next link for me in my open tabs is many different pricing pages for different to-do apps. So I am devastated that once again, one of my favorite and most beloved apps that I've been using for so many years now, Wonderlist, which is a to-do app, is finally kind of shutting down in May. Laura and I have spoken many times about this, about her previous love, Sunrise, the calendar app, bought by Microsoft, rolled into Outlook somehow, never to be seen again. When Microsoft also bought Wonderlist around two years ago, we thought we'd have it forever. And no, they just announced last week that they are shutting it down in May. And so I'm frantically kind of searching for a new thing. And it just like, I mean, I'm so close to my apps. I'm looking at so many different things. The one currently in contention right now is Todoist. That kind of seems to be the, I guess, the one that's most similar that a lot of people like. Microsoft Todo is what kind of picked up Wonderlist and they rolled their whole team and a lot of features into, but also it requires to be in the whole Microsoft kind of system. But yeah, it's going to be so interesting to like, my whole life is in Wonderlist. I really do not know what would happen if I lost everything in there and would have to kind of start again. I think it would make me have a real existential crisis in terms of who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing. So I'm feeling very shaky about entering into this new phase of existence. Are you, Rach, into to-do apps? Like, what is your kind of source of truth for all the things that you need to do in your life? Well, I mean, my problem is that I keep falling in love with Google products that Google then unceremoniously kills, like Google Reader, RIP, in peace forever. I still, for Google Reader. I still have the link in my bookmarks bar. I will never get rid of it. And inbox I fell for really, really hard. And like I've yet to like Gmail is just, it's not the same. Google Travel I was obsessed with and I used a lot. So I think that I've now become like quite gun shy with really falling in love with an app. So I'm actually now a pen and paper girl. No. I buy these Korean planners from a brand called Artium. I've had them for three years in a row. And I really, really love them. But failing that, I've also recently had a resurgence with Apple Notes. Really? It got good. It got really good. And it's literally everywhere. And it's like, it's synced between like my work. Cause like, you know, again, cause I'm, I'm used to being a freelancer with like a million different work computers and home computers and, and my, my phone. It just works. Reminders just works. Like, I'm just uncovering. I started using it just because like it was there and now I'm just discovering that it has Apple reminders and Apple notes has this whole set of features that I didn't even realize was there. So it's not sexy. It's not new. But if I had to pick an app right now, it would be Apple notes and Apple reminders. Interesting. I mean, I think that it's 
Apple's obviously doing this huge pivot kind of towards services at the moment. And yeah, a lot of their kind of apps, like which have previously not been that great, are getting kind of a whole new fresh coat of paint, which has been great. But I'm also thinking it's funny because I think like our generation is kind of at this weird like juncture in terms of how this all these services have evolved. And like I've kind of noticed that like I have all this weird Apple detritus, like from mobile me and like the email that I use there, and then the one account that I use for iCloud and then for iTunes and then the store. And it's like it's never fully gelled in one way. And I think it's because, yeah, we started all these things at the very beginning and kind of when they started as early adopters and now that they're a bit more clean to use. I think they probably work a bit better. But yeah, I had a huge crisis when like I lost one of like, I was using Wonderlist in a really weird way where I had one item and there were like just a million other subtask items like behind that. Sometimes I have this thing where I really don't like doing subtasks, but I'll make one task and that just says personal stuff and then put like 30 things over there because I think, oh, it's just only kind of one item, which is really not true. It's actually 30 items that should be broken up. But I have this like weird thing about wanting to see everything kind of on one screen and I accidentally deleted it and I couldn't get it back. And now I had to start from scratch. And I know this is kind of something that I'm really forgetting and it makes me really uncomfortable. So the pen and paper thing is good. I think, yeah, that's uh are you going to keep both going or well, what are you going to do? I like, think the thing is that pen and paper for me is anything important goes with pen and paper because I have this incredible ability to tune out any kind of notification. If it happens digitally for me, it turns, it just gets filtered into that kind of mental clutter. And so I find that if I write it down with pen and paper, I tend to look at it more. I tend to not tune it out. I tend to take it more seriously. Actually, when I was like extremely pregnant and very like had such severe pregnancy baby brain, I would have project managers like hover over my shoulder and make sure that it went down into the red book because if it didn't go into the red book, it wouldn't happen. I would just completely forget that it even existed. So I think I'm going to be sticking with pen and paper for quite some time now. Good stuff. What's your next link for the week? So my next link is an online comedian. I've, I've linked to a YouTube video called A Kardashian Christmas Fit. He's part, so it's a good introduction to one Benito Skinner. He's on Instagram as Benny Drama. He's one to watch and I'm obsessed with him. It's like to say that I'm obsessed with him is an understatement. So he's just very pop culture obsessed. He loves Lizzie McGuire. He does an amazing Lana Del Rey impersonation. He has a whole series of videos about astrology, about dating the various star signs that are like just so accurate. I am an Aries. I will say that his Aries video is true and speaks to my soul. So I forget, what are you again, Jeremy? You're Aquarius, of course. Aquarius, yeah. His Aquarius character is Paris Hilton. Um, and he <laughs> We have the same a, birthday. Yes, he has an extraordinary Paris Hilton. So as someone who like, I've like late in life really embraced that I'm a trash bag. I worship the Kardashian Jenner clan. I just think that Kris Jenner is like my kind of business mogul hero his kind of take on the, the Kardashian clan is really amazing. And recently the Kardashians have started commenting on his videos, which I am taking for myself as a personal victory as a massive Benito Skinner fan. Yeah, you've always been spot on with all your comedy recommendations over the years. So yeah, that's going to go straight into my queue. I've been kind of queuing up all of the stand-up specials from Bullseye. He does kind of his year-end roundup, so I'm in a huge comedy binge at the moment. This seems like it has a very visual component, though, so I actually have to look at it to get it, would you say? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's uh, His Instagram stuff is what really sings. He, he really became famous through his Instagram videos. But if you want to go for the extended cut, I just go straight for the YouTube and just, again, just let those play whenever I just need a little boost. Awesome. I'll check it out. Next up for me is the Basecamp Guide to Internal Communication. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know that 
pretty big fans of Basecamp here, both in terms of the product and in terms of the whole methodology. And I mean, I just love how they put this kind of stuff out there in terms of how they kind of work as a team. I think their whole business model is really interesting that like they use the product that they sell. It's kind of all bundled up together. So in terms of, yeah, their whole business is how people actually work. And so they released this piece over the Christmas break as well. And they previously actually kind of put their whole staff manual out in terms of yeah, what their benefits are, how they use job titles, how they do everything, how they deal with remote working, all this stuff. And I've blatantly lifted a lot of this stuff to kind of use in our own methodology. And they have often been critics about group chat and the stress that it kind of causes as at work. And I guess you could kind of say like, well, obviously, because that threatens their product. But I think anyone who uses group chat at work will know how stressful it can be being in a day long meeting, kind of as they say. So I was really encouraged to see them put this guide out, which is a basic rules of thumbs, a kind of short 30 pithy remarks in terms of how to communicate well internally. And I think talking internally and developing policies around that, especially for the work that we do, is so important because everything that you do internally should reflect how you are externally as well to your clients. So like there shouldn't be two kind of systems. So I think everything here that they describe here applies to both. And there's a lot of amazing kind of points here, as well as some longer kind of takeaways as well. It's a really short two or three minute read, but I absolutely loved it. Rach, do you use Basecamp or like, you know, how do you guys, do you have any policies and places that you've worked about internal comms? And did any of these points resonate with you at all? Well, I think again, because like I've only just started working permanently about three months ago, but I have been freelance for quite some time. My version of freelancing is on site. So I haven't really been in a position to really affect or kind of shape internal communications at many places. My kind of MO as a freelancer is to always be a little bit of a, a bit of a Ronin, just like show up, melt, melt on in, adapt myself to what a situation I'm in, you know, killer bastard, like, fuck off. Like, that's kind of how I play it as a freelancer. But I think that some of the points that really do speak to me about the importance of asking questions and listening, because I think for me, as a creative, but as a, as a commercial creative, as someone who deals with clients, I'm increasingly learning that listening is the single most important thing I could ever do in a client meeting. I feel like it's really easy to fall into the trap of wanting to impress people, of wanting to seem in control, of wanting to seem smart. But often you can sidestep so much grief and so much miscommunication by just asking a clarifying question if you don't understand something or if a client has made a point that you don't feel fully confident answering and just shutting up and listening to the answer. And I feel like it often as creative people who are just can sometimes feel compelled to just fill silences. That can be a very difficult skill to learn, but it's definitely been an important one for me. Absolutely. I think, yeah, that's a kind of huge one. The biggest skill as producers that we have is trying to clarify things and asking questions and not being afraid to ask questions. I think that is a real kind of sign of strength. I think in general as well, there's another saying that says like, you cannot not communicate. So everything that you say, no matter what you are, always communicating. And one of my favorite points in this whole thing is point 11 that says poor communication creates more work. And I think we all want to be, well, most of us want to be kind of working a bit less or a bit smarter. And I think, yeah, you know, communication is just such a huge part of that. So we don't have the time to go through all of these. We could probably do an individual episode for each of the points here. But yeah, if you're someone who uses Slack or you're kind of into Basecamp's more calm company approach, I would definitely suggest checking that out. Rach, give us another link. And I've got a work one here. It's not just all uh, pop culture, but my creative partner, Emma Watson, shout out put me onto Deck of Brilliance, 
which is I am like now super obsessed with. It's basically TV tropes for advertising. Oh, wow. This is great. So it has like a series of tropes or approaches. Create Like I'm just going to read it some out at random, like find an analogy for the problem, let the solution create a new problem, make the product precious. Underneath each one, there's like a little write-up of what that trope is and curated selection of creative work, mostly TV ads, some digital that activates that. Yeah, I love it. I've been like kind of drawing from it a lot. I've been writing a lot of scripts at the moment. So it's just been really, really helpful when you're kind of in the thick of concepting. Yeah, this is really cool. It kind of reminds me almost of, I guess, Oblique Strategies, the Brian Eno kind of thing, which is, I guess, a bit more just kind of bits of small text that are meant to just inspire you or kind of just have some thought experiments. But this is... This is really interesting because for every card as well, it's actually got links to all the different famous ads that use this kind of technique as well. And I could definitely see this being relevant outside of advertising for, I guess, creatives in general, like or kind of anyone who's kind of telling stories. This is really cool. I'm really into it. Thank you for sharing. That could definitely go in people's permanent bookmarks there. Very nice. I will round things off with my last link of the week. Again, another big theme of my tabs for the holiday break is Google search results. There are so many. I could probably do lots of different things for each one of them. How to keep white sneakers clean is one that's going on in the moment because I bought a pair of white sneakers. I don't know why. I can't keep them clean. Baby what kind whites. of guitar? Oh, really? Yeah. And magic erasers I hear as well. It's another thing. I've got what kind of guitar did Santo and Johnny use? Because I really like Santo and Johnny and I want to know what kind of guitar they were using because they're doing some cool lap guitars. How to test for gluten intolerance. How to teach yourself to drum. Wall hanger for instruments. Back painting after standing too long. How to minimize pores, which is still going on. An ongoing battle of my pore minimization, as we discussed in my last episode with Lara. Best hip flexor exercises. There's so many. They're really the deepest look into kind of my psyche. The biggest one at the moment is just how to make my business carbon neutral. I think that is a really big theme for us at the moment. It's here in Australia, a lot of architecture firms and design firms are really getting onto this, doing audits of their carbon footprint, making steps to kind of minimize it. It's something that I think, yeah, we all kind of wanted to do, but needed this pretty big push to kind of do it. So it's definitely kind of something that I'm looking at much more seriously and hope to implement this year, along with a lot of our peers. What's the vibe like in the UK, Rachel, in terms of agencies and working in this way? Like, do you see similar pushes? Like, is it just kind of lip service or other pathways for people to do this? I feel like in terms of the environment and climate change, there isn't such a sense of urgency as there potentially is in Australia. I possibly because United Kingdom is only metaphorically on fire, not like literally. I've definitely, I feel like I've heard much more chat about mental health that I have a range of opinions on that I won't go into right now. So I feel like that's like the kind of like main corporate social responsibility theme that I'm seeing in UK agencies at the moment. I've, I've seen like a whole bunch of mental health pushes at a range of agencies that I have various opinions. But again, I think, yeah, being in the Northern Hemisphere and maybe being a little bit removed from some of the more visible climate crises, there's like less of an emphasis on becoming super carbon neutral. But obviously London being at the heart of like the global finance and people flying in and out of city airport all the time is... um clearly not a major priority. Mm, obviously a really big and important issue that we can't cover in full. But yeah, just curious to see what things were like there at the moment. Obviously a big point of conversation now. Maybe end us on a bit of a lighter note as we wrap up with your last think of the week. What do you have? I just have, I've just written down the broader Bon Appetit averse. Now, are you a Bon Appetit head? The magazine? The phrase? The YouTube channel? 
am i no, introducing you to this is this like you know youtube as a thing like to actually be entertained on is kind of something that is a new concept to me so yes all this is new to me please welcome me in tell me so bon appetit the magazine has a youtube channel that is singular and glorious in its charm in its sweetness in its innovativeness if you're like kind of in your mid-30s and you feel like the YouTube train has kind of passed you by, you will like just sink into this channel like it is a warm bath full of friends. It's just heavenly. Like you've probably seen the kind of more clickbaity videos of Gourmet Makes where Claire Saffitz, for the other Bon Appetit heads out there, I would identify myself as, I would say my sun sign is a Chris with a Claire Moon and a Brad Ascending. So that would make sense to some, like I would wager quite a lot of your readers. So Claire Saffitz hosts Gourmet Makes. She does not like hosting Gourmet Makes where she is forced seemingly at gunpoint to recreate such treats as Skittles, Jolly Ranchers, Hot Pockets from scratch. She's a massive baby about it. She did famously once say, I can take no criticism at this stage. I adore her and her videos are just heavenly. There's Chris, who is an oddball, skinny esthete who takes tiny, tiny bites from food and has an incredible sense of smell. Once you fall into the Bon Appetit world, it's just something that overtakes you. And I included a link to this very, like, really informative Jezebel article about the Bon Appetit cinematic universe, which I couldn't recommend more highly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I think, yeah, this is all new to me. So I'm looking forward to finding out a bit more. I'm not sure if I could handle a whole new cinematic universe in my life right now, but maybe some of our listeners might be up for it. Again, all of the links that we talk about will be in our show notes and the newsletter we put out every week. I think that'll do us for now. I can finally close some tabs and we'll be back next week with what else is in our open tabs. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks, Jeremy. Before we go, though, we are trying to bring back the brilliantly named Thumbs Up, Thumbs Down, Shaka, the time we dedicate each week to get the good, the bad, the stunning off of our chest. Why? Well, our newsletter is very highly templatized. We have to put something in for it every week. We can't really redesign the newsletter template at the moment. So this is really kind of a design decision more than anything. Rachel, got anything for us? The good is very much for me a little game called The Outer Worlds, not to be confused with The Outer Wilds. So it's put out by Obsidian, who I understand had a pretty major part in the early Fallout games. Please don't come at me, game geeks. But it is just the most delightful like RPG where you are a person who has been shot into space and you land in a kind of like retro futuristic world that is overrun by out of control corporations. It's got some Firefly vibes. It's got some kind of like really fun combat. My husband is doing a playthrough where he set up his character to have extremely low intelligence, which has unlocked a series of dumb dialogue options, which are just heavenly. It fully has dumb bitch mode. I love it. It's so good. Awesome. That'll go in the thumbs up column for us. For me, I've got a bit of a thumbs down this week for Linseeds. What the fuck, Linseeds? Why do you end up in things? In my granola, I think linseeds are really gross. Whatever. I'm sure they have health benefits and all that other stuff. It's fine. But like they just kind of like after I have it, there's always one linseed that just gets stuck in my teeth or in a weird pocket of your mouth and they get really gross and gooey and like they expand and I just they're really gross. But like it's like there's only kind of one sugar free granola that they have at the shops and there's linseeds in it. I have to deal with it every day. It's kind of part of the whole thing. But my thumbs down is linseeds in granola, linseeds in general. We don't need you. They just think, you know, you have another place. I think LSA. Yeah. 
maybe be in there and somewhere else, but not in my granola, please. I might also go for a bonus and kind of throw in a shaka as well for all the amazing fundraising efforts that have been kind of being done for the bushfires in the last few weeks. There's really too many to name in our Instagram. We kind of did a hiatus on our regular content and kind of did a shout out to as many as we could from the ones that our artists were kind of doing themselves. We're doing our own fundraiser through Lamington Drive through our Ristographica prints that is a fundraiser show in itself we've been doing the last kind of five or six years. But yeah, we are donating all proceeds from those sales to a different fire-related charity for the next three weeks. So if you want to check that out, that's at jwg.is slash fundraising. Again, jwg.is slash fundraising. That'll do us for this week. We will be back next week. And thank you. Bye-bye. I'm Jeremy Wartzman. She's Rachel Kendrick. This has been Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. Our theme music is by Totally Unrelated to Our Company, Melbourne-based musician Jackie Winter. You can check out his stuff on soundcloud.com slash Jackie Winter. If you want more episodes, archives of all of our shows can be found at JackieWinter.GivesYouThe.Biz. To receive beautiful artwork, the links to all of our open tabs and updates on all things Jackie Winter, one neat little weekly package, you can sign up to our newsletter at JWG.Is slash newslettering. You can also find us on Instagram at Jackie Winter. That's Jackie with a Y in Winter Like the Season. And you can send us any feedback, whatever, notes, stuff, podcast at JackieWinder.com. We love hearing from you. If you want to hear more about Rachel, you can follow her at Nerdfish on Twitter and Instagram or at RachelKendrick.com for work stuff. That's Rachel with an A, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, Kendrick.com. Remember, this is an enhanced podcast. If you listen to this using a supportive player such as Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Overcast, or Castro, you'll be able to view any relevant visual content as we wrap it on. And if you work from an ad agency or design studio or interested in our live extended version of OpenTabs, be sure to check out OpenTabs.Rodeo for more info. Thank you for listening. Catch you next week. Bye-bye. Wait, Muji the shop. Muji the shop because it's commissioned soundtracks from kind of um, my dishwasher just beeped. Do you want to go again? Yeah.